Strange days indeed. Man, alive. We're in some weird times, people. For sure. Uh, This is Andrew, by the way, with the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If somehow you're here on accident. Oh boy. I'm hanging out with my dog, Pele. Uh, It's uh, Thursday in Northern California. The air is filled with smoke still. Uh, There are fires all over the place. Heat wave coming, no wind at the moment, which is a good and a bad thing. We're just sitting in it, sitting in some smoke. There's chaos everywhere. People are fighting in the streets. People are fighting on the internet, which is dumb. And yeah, it's uh, it feels a little broken and strange at the moment, but uh, it may be, it may well be that the biggest problem out there is a lack of imagination and specifically the capacity to imagine what it's like to be in someone else's shoes it's not as hard as it sounds and it's not as easy as it sounds it's one of those things that is the gift of human beings to be able to do it's the essence of empathy to be able to imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. I'm watching all this crazy shit go down. I've, I've got um, family members who are like Trump supporting, uh, and, and not my immediate family, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're Trump supporting QAnon believing um, folks who give, you know, Black Lives Matter a hard time and that's that's tough to reconcile, you know, that these these people who I know and love have these really kind of harsh, sort of harsh beliefs and harsh feelings. And then I watch, um, you know, I'm watching riots and looting happen, which are not nice. They're awful. Of course, it's terrible. Watching frustration just manifest itself in the streets. And I try not to think about what I believe or what I think I know, I just try to think, well, how would I feel if I were in those people's shoes? Whichever people I'm thinking about. These somewhat, um, it's it's hard not to say that they're closed-minded, Trump-supporting people. You know, I, I, that's how I immediately think and what I feel. But then I, I try to put myself in their shoes and you know, I think about their backgrounds and what is important to them and it it softens my feelings for them I'm I'm not so harshly judging because it's not my place to do so and I do my very best to imagine what it's like 
to be um, out there in the streets protesting, enraged, and and looting and damaging and doing things. And there there are two distinct things, of course. There are protesters and there are looters. They're not the same. They're not they're not all the same. But in any case, the uh, the impulse to protest and to riot and to just any way you possibly can voice your disgust with the current system is very understandable to me. And I know a lot of people may think, well, man, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like as a white person, you know, to, to imagine myself growing up as a black person. And I, I would say that it's, it's worth trying. <laughs> it's worth trying to imagine what that's like, because that is, that's empathy. That's being empathetic, I think. And that's what's missing. Anyhow, sorry to rant about that. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit today. Uh, I had a very, very strange day yesterday, starting with um, a coffee pot breaking, spilling coffee everywhere. Um, I, uh, I had to go to a doctor about my knee, which is now injured. I think I may have torn my meniscus in what was previously my good knee. I felt very strange. Pele was in a weird um, space. I, I give him these pills for heartworm once a month, and he always feels kind of shitty, which I hate giving it to him, but I'm I'm very afraid of him getting heartworm. So I don't know. He felt really bad yesterday. And then uh, right when I got back home from the doctor's visit, I saw this beautiful dog clearly lost running around the neighborhood. And it was a, a split second decision to go park where I was deciding to park. I, I, I changed my mind. So anyway, I just happened to run across this dog and I, I got out to get a, get a hold of it and see if I could help it out. And Pele, of course, was freaking out in the front seat and trying to bark at this, you know, it was a husky, like this kind of much bigger than Pele type of dog. And in the process of trying to wrangle this very excited uh, very nervous dog. I was reaching into my car, which was parked but running, to grab a leash, and this dog bumped into my arm. And somehow, I don't know how I did this, but the I have a little pocket knife on my keys, which were hanging from the ignition, and the dog knocked into me and jammed my hand directly into the pocket knife, which for some reason the knife was actually extended on it, which I, I don't know how or why I did that, but I stabbed my hand. I mean, I'm talking like the the knife went at least two inches into my into my hand in between my thumb and my, my finger. And it just, it was like immediately incredibly painful and blood just started gushing out of my hand. This deep, crazy red blood just pouring out of my hand. And this, you know, Pele's growling and barking. This other dog's freaking out. But somehow I managed to get it to follow me. I, I just I closed the door and started driving up the hill and I was calling the dog. It ran after me. And I managed to get a hold of it and and try to keep Pele and the dog separate. And meanwhile, just pouring blood out of my hand. Just I mean, my front seat of my car looked like a 
murder scene. I mean, just a puddle of blood. And, uh, fortunately, a neighbor was able to help me out and, and take this dog until the owner could come get it. Uh, I called the owner and sent a text and it all ended up working out. The dog, the dog made it home, which makes me feel good because I think I'm karmically obligated to help lost dogs because God knows if that ever happened to me, I would certainly want somebody to, to get a hold of Pele and then get a hold of me. But anyway, I, you know, I'm having to schedule this oddball knee surgery now around an upcoming heart surgery. My left hand is kind of out of commission. It's swollen like crazy, blood trapped into the skin. Um, I just feel like I'm sort of plunging headlong into this weird decrepitude in the middle of uh, crazy turmoil in the world. And then right when I thought everything was just about to level off for the day, I found out that uh, the hospital where Tiffany works is experiencing a massive outbreak among the nurses for COVID-19. And uh, Tiffany doesn't think she's had contact with any of those people, which is good. But um, it's a fairly small hospital and eight nurses are infected so I can't see her for a while because I work and live with an elderly couple who I have to be very careful to not infect so so yeah Tiffany is kind of marooned up there in Santa Rosa which is about 45 miles north of where I am and uh I think she's okay for now. She's going to get a test. But it's just kind of a weird, scary thing to punctuate your day with. You know, that your uh, your best friend and partner in life is kind of stranded in a sea of, of uh, horrible illness. But there's nobody better to be up there doing that because she is strong and smart and capable. So anyway, that's our update. (laughs) At some point, we're going to go get the van. You know, in the meantime, we're going to just try to try to do our best, stay healthy. We're going to keep growing plants, potted a bunch of pot plants. Um, I've never grown pot before. And now I have like 10 huge pot plants. Um, I don't even smoke. I'm, I'm growing it for the people I live with. It's a beautiful thing to see something come from a seed and turn into uh, a gorgeous plant. I got some advice from Chris Ryan when he was here. He uh, he has a lot of experience growing pot. So he gave me some really kind of cool, straightforward um, advice on how to how to handle it. And I remember a lot of what the guys I met at Old Apple Farm in Oregon told me about dealing with with pot plants and it's it's interesting um i really have no interest in smoking it but i've really enjoyed bringing these things um or facilitating these things to do what they do all right so yeah i've rambled here for a a good 10 minutes let me tell you about this uh this episode that we got coming up i've got two 
Um, one of them is a previous guest. The other is a friend that we made in Alaska. But uh, two updates for you. One from uh, pro surfer, documentarian, and writer Kyle Tierman. And the other is from our pal in Salcha, uh, Alaska, Nate Atwood. And interestingly, they both sort of touch on the idea of self-help in a way. Kyle more directly, he's uh, written an article, sort of a review and uh, his thoughts on this self-help book. And Nate is uh, preparing himself and his cabin for the long Alaskan winter. And uh, it's just very interesting to see how these two very smart gentlemen handle their ideas of self-preservation and self-help. We'll get to that in a minute. I also want to talk to you about music. Speaking of self-help, I want to, as I've said before, I don't really know shit about shit, but I do know how to get a song out of my head. And I'll talk about that in a second. But um, last thing I want to say about us or what's going on in our world, uh, Chris, when he was here, Chris Ryan, introduced me to his pal and mentor, Stanley Krippner. And I've uh, been going by Stanley's house for, I don't know, a couple of months now, maybe once or twice a week, uh, just to check on him, see how he's doing. Um, and yeah, he's had some pretty significant health challenges. And uh, it has been so fascinating to see this guy. He's taken a, a dramatic uptick in, in, in health. He's doing so much better than when I first met him. And to uh, you meet somebody and you get this impression of them when they're in a, a lower state of of uh, physicality, and then you see them improve, and you get to see their their character shine through in this cool way. Uh, I'm I'm very very grateful for Stanley, and he, through I'm sure no intent of his own, has been a, an influence on the way I've perceived my own. Um, nosedive into decrepitude with my stroke and heart problem and now knee problem. Um, I don't feel so bad about it all. And I think it's in large part to being around Stanley, who is, you know, certainly it's not been easy for him to deal with what he's dealing with, but the way he's dealt with it has been delightful. And he's one of the most fascinating people I've met. I mean, just a, a, had a crazy, interesting life. And I, I've not even felt compelled to ask him to be on the podcast. Just, I just kind of want to enjoy his company. And he is so well documented as a person. He's been on numerous podcasts and radio shows and television shows. And he's written, you know, a handful of books. And he, he's well cataloged as a guy. I, I just, uh, just want to enjoy him personally. And he really likes Tiffany. He really likes Pele. And we've really enjoyed hanging out with them. So if you're a, um, I don't know if you're a fan of Stanley's or if you would like to become a fan of Stanley's, I highly recommend you listening to um, his episodes with Chris. Chris and Stanley and Wim Hof did a great episode together. Or just Google Stanley Krippner and check him out. He's a fascinating dude. All right. 
So, yeah, I'm going to play you a song right now. Um, Jimi Hendrix, Castles Made of Sand. When I was very young, I, I you know, like a lot of kids, uh, got into Jimi Hendrix. I really loved the music of the 60s and 70s, and uh, Jimi Hendrix was way at the top of the list. Uh, his guitar playing was just out of control. His songwriting and his whole band, especially the... Uh, the early band was just so good. And uh, I fell in love with that tune, uh, Castles Made of Sand. And I listened to it so many times that I realized that if I ever got anything stuck in my head, a song, a jingle from a commercial, I could get it out by playing this song in my head. And I can, I can literally, right now, I could just hear it from the very beginning to the very end. I could play the song in my head which I think is a good exercise. And a lot of people talk about meditation, yogic exercises. Maybe try for yourself to sit down for a moment and think of a song that you, you know and play it in your brain. Let the whole thing from the intro to the outro play. I, I can hear the bass lines, the drum parts, the, every lyric, his crazy guitar, um, and it, it usually just takes the intro of that tune to get anything else out of my head, which has been very, um, very useful when on a long hike or a long bicycle ride or on a psychedelic journey, something gets stuck in my head. Uh, this tune is there for me. Anyhow, that's my little, uh, self help tip of the day. Find a tune that you know really well or, or learn a tune, you know, by listening to it over and over again and see if it's something that can help you get stuff stuck in your head, out of your head. Anyhow, on that note, I'm gonna play this tune for you, Jimi Hendrix, Castles Made of Sand. And she slams the door in his trunk of face And now he stands outside And all the neighbors start to gossip and drool He cries, oh girl, you must be mad What happened to the sweet love you and me had? Against the door he leans and starts a scene And his tears fall and burn in garden green And so castles made of sand Fall in the sea Eventually A little Indian brave Who before he was ten Played war games in the woods With his Indian friends And he built a dream That when he grew up He would be a fearless warrior Indian chief Many moons passed And more the dream grew stronger Till tomorrow he would sing His first war song And fight his first battle And something went wrong Surprise attack Killed him in his sleep that night and so castles made of sand melts into the sea eventually. There was a young girl whose heart was 
was a frown cause she was crippled for life And she couldn't speak a sound and she wished and prayed she could stop living So she decided to die She drew a wheelchair to the edge of the shore And to her legs she smiled, you won't hear me no more But then a sight she never seen made her jump and say Look a golden winged ship is passing my way And it really didn't have to stop It just kept on going And so castles made of sand Slips into the sea about that Jimi Hendrix Castles Made of Sand from um, Are You Experienced incredible tune okay now I'm going to read you an article written by Kyle Tierman it's, uh, it's called Atomic Habits the best self-help book of my year he wrote this back in August now uh, Kyle um, has gone through a breakup in recent times and decided to go traveling this uh, this year, and uh, you know he's going through kind of a personal cathartic journey of uh, you know it's one of those things self discovery. Who are you as a single guy? You know that type of thing. I get the sense you know he and I have not talked directly. Um, when I asked him if he wouldn't mind sending me an update, he just sent me a link to his uh, to his writings, which are great. He uh, he's fashioning himself as a writer and doing the thing, and I think he's doing a good job of it. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Kyle and the way he approaches life. He's a tough character, uh, and he's a very thoughtful guy. Uh, uh, you know, I have thoughts about self-help, specifically self-help books and self-help um, methodologies. That I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that after I read you his article. But, uh, you know, for some people, I think it's probably a good idea to, to organize their, their minds and their thoughts and their, their habits in this way. And um, the book that the, uh, he's talking about, um, it's called Atomic Habits, and uh, it's written by a guy named James Clear. And it's... Uh, it's a book I've not read, so I can't talk too much shit about it. But uh, I like Kyle's take on why self-help is important. Um, and to, to me, the idea of uh, self-help or self-improvement is to be useful to others and to be better to be around. That's, um, you know, I think a, a worthy goal of making yourself the best version of you that you can be for whatever, whatever the hell that is. But I don't know that I think about it as, as much as Kyle does. So it's, it's interesting to see this and to, to, to hear his thoughts and his writings. You go to Kyle's website, uh, which I will put a link up to on ours. Um, Kyle's site is full of great articles that he's been writing for uh, several months now. And they're, uh, they're funny. They're, thought-provoking and uh, researched like well-researched he's not just riffing so uh yeah give those give those a shot but for now i'm going to read you this one as uh 
uh, sub in for an update on what Kyle has been up to. Here it is, Atomic Habits, the best self-help book of my year. Goals are about the results you want to achieve. Systems are about the processes that lead to those results. If I could go back in time and have a conversation with my younger, more spastic self, I would relay two messages. One, mental toughness is defined as persistence, not intensity. Two, goals are for losers. Systems are for winners. Perhaps as I was tucking myself back into the DeLorean and starting to gun it up to 88 miles an hour, I would also shout, And stop sagging your pants, kid. You're not fooling anyone. But the first two points would be my primary reasons for the voyage. I learned both of them from James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. It is quickly becoming one of my most gifted books, and I'm here to shout its praise from this quaint internet rooftop. An unflattering but honest metaphor for my life might be the bright candle that burns too quickly. Growing up, I gripped tightly to the belief that intensity and a cavalier attitude toward risk were my greatest assets. I had high levels of pain tolerance and low levels of self-preservation. This combustible mix allowed me to hurl myself down staircases on a skateboard until my hip was purple, bomb ad nauseum at amateur stand-up comedy, and ride a horse at a Mexican rodeo using a wadded-up toilet paper as a mouth guard. But after four fractured wrists and an omnipresent feeling of insufficiency, I conceded that perhaps there was an approach to learning that doesn't result in broken arms and burnout. The question was simple. Can I learn more while suffering less? Atomic Habits answered this question. The human brain has evolved to make decisions that require the least amount of effort. So if you want to build a new habit and stick with it, the smartest approach is to trick your brain into thinking that it's easy. Clear uses a technique called the two-minute rule, which he explains as follows. When you start a new habit, it should take less than two minutes to do. You'll find that nearly any habit can be scaled down into a two-minute version. Read before bed each night becomes read one page. Do 30 minutes of yoga becomes take out my yoga mat. Study for class becomes open my notes. Fold the laundry becomes fold one pair of socks. Run three miles becomes tie my running shoes. To get a habit to stick, you need to feel immediately successful, even if it's in a small way. A friend once told me, Kyle, your problem is that you think that just because it's hard, that automatically means it's good. While the ability to suffer does have its place during excruciating events, such as passing a kidney stone, seal training, or holidays with the in-laws, that doesn't mean we need to seek it out. Our blind love of suffering seems to be a uniquely American idea, and I can't help but wonder if our culture overvalues bombastic intensity and undervalues quiet consistency. If you can get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the end of the year. A lot of us are trying to read more. It's a worthy intention as it seems to be the single biggest difference between thoughtfulness and ignorance. Compared to Instagram, though, reading can feel grueling. Clear argues that long-term habit building has more to do with your environment and less to do with motivation. By engineering an environment where good decisions are easy, it removes the need to feel motivated. Clear offers another technique called habit stacking. Think of a habit you enjoy and carry out every day, like making breakfast, for example. 
By stacking the task of read one page right before you make breakfast, your mind will begin to associate reading with a more pleasurable experience. Apply this mental jujitsu enough times and pretty soon you'll be flipping an omelet while mowing through the odyssey. Conversely, if you want to stop acting out bad habits, create barriers in your environment. Checking Instagram like a crack addict was a bad habit of mine, but I cut my use in half by creating one simple barrier to entry. Uninstall. That's right. By forcing myself to reinstall the app every time I want to use Instagram, an act that actually takes about 60 seconds, it gives me just enough time to admit that I don't actually want to check Instagram. I'm just grasping it away to procrastinate like a drowning victim grasps for a life preserver, when really, I need to take a step back and learn to swim. It turns out that a lot of what we do is identity-driven, and the phrases you use to describe yourself are of great importance. Clear has his readers consider the smoker. Imagine two people resisting a cigarette. When offered a smoke, the first person says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. It sounds like a reasonable response, but this person still believes they are a smoker who's trying to be something else. They're hoping their behavior will change while carrying around the same beliefs. The second person declines by saying, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. It's a small difference, but this statement signals a shift in identity. Smoking was part of their former life, not their current one. They no longer identify as someone who smokes. Goals can be helpful in the way that they can set you on a course but ultimately, we fall back on our systems. If you're setting off on a sailing voyage, the goal is the destination. But the systems are the sails, rudder, steering wheel, and everything else that will get you from point A to point B. By simply applying the principles above of starting small, engineering your environment to your benefit, choosing the words you use to describe yourself with precision, and focusing on systems rather than goals, You'll begin to look at every problem you face through a more strategic prism, one that can help you dance through the day with a little more grace and a little less burnout. So yeah, I have I have some thoughts on on this article and on the idea of self-help. This is not a critique of Kyle necessarily or or this book because I've I've not read this book. But I do have thoughts on on the idea of self-help and specifically some of the ideas that this uh this author that Kyle's uh enamored of has proposed. I want to say, I think that maybe traveling in uh, Mexico and Central America has changed my uh, perception of myself and my own culture. When I, when I read things like this, um, you know, about micromanaging your goals and your environment and, 
um, you know, reframing yourself and all that stuff. It just, it comes from a place of tremendous privilege. And I, I know that's such like a, a kind of buzzy word at the moment, like white privilege. And But I just mean it in, in the sense that like, if you have the time to make your goal um, to read one page or to, you know, just tie your running shoes, what the fuck are we doing? I mean, seriously, what, what are we doing? I, I've got a friend, uh, Tiffany and I have a friend in Guatemala who's a chicken bus driver, Julio. He has four kids and uh, he was, you know, a very well-respected guy, is a well-respected guy. Those chicken bus drivers are no joke, man. It's a hard, hard gig. And they're the lifeline between these, uh, these villages and the big cities and the markets and they're how people get around. Um, and they've been shut down, effectively shut down since the pandemic began. Uh, we've done our best to try to help him. But I mean, that you know, the guy's in an impossible situation. There's no government help coming for this poor guy. Uh, there's, there's nothing on the horizon that's going to help him other than his own will to make sure his kids are okay and his community and the people around they, they help each other they're they're smart that way but you know if you were to tell julio <laughs> uh the way to really help yourself man would be to engineer your environment to uh to your benefit and to you know choose the words wisely that you use to describe yourself and think think about the system rather than the goal like Julio's too nice to say it, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he did just say, go fuck yourself. It's like that book, The Secret, which I've also never read, but I get the premise you know, that you need to manifest your, your destiny with positivity and all this shit. Tell, tell that to somebody suffering in Central America right now, or in Mexico, or Syria, or, you know, uh, Lebanon, or any of these places that are just so, so desperately in trouble. And then looking at self-help, it just seems like crazily tone deaf. I, I don't know. And again, I'm not critiquing Kyle because I understand where Kyle's coming from. He wants to be a good man. He wants to be a good person and to be efficient and to, to get it done in a way that makes him of, of service to others, which I think is a good thing. But at the same time, if if you're out there buying self-help books, um, you know, send $12 to a guy like Julio, <laughs> you know, and just don't be so fucking lazy, you know, or re-examine why you want these things in the first place. Why, why do you want to run? Why do you want to do yoga? You know, if if you really want it, just do it. I, I think in order to to do the things that you want, you have to want the thing that you're doing. And it's kind of simple. Um, or you have to have no choice but to do it. So anyway, I, I'm sorry to, to, to rag on this because I do really respect Kyle and I, I like what he's doing. And I like this article. Um, but self-help, I don't know, man. I don't know. Our priorities are a little, little wacky. But uh, on the other side of this, there's another type of self-help that is similar to what my pal in Guatemala is going through. Um, my buddy Nate in Alaska, 
in Salcha. We met Nate through um, through Chris's podcast, actually. He sent us an email when we were traveling through Alaska and was like, hey, man, come by and see me if you're up here. So we did. We were in uh, in Fairbanks, and on the way out of Alaska, we stopped at Nate's house. And one of my regrets of our journey was that I didn't spend more time with Nate. We were kind of excited to, to, to make our exit south and and you know we'd gone as far north as we were going to go and it's all south from there and I, I really should have spent more time with him a very fascinating guy who was uh he spent i don't know 20 or 30 years undiagnosed with lyme's disease which is no joke man i mean lyme's disease is a is a killer and he dealt with it for 30 years or how many every years and didn't know he had it and he's a you know a strong, smart, active dude. And this uh, this disease has really hit him hard. And he lives in a cabin alone in Alaska, which is a physically demanding place to be in, in the best circumstances. And uh, what's happened to him dealing with this, uh, this illness and being so isolated and getting prepared for the winter is really interesting, I think. And it, it is a form of self-help. And it's a form of self-realization. And uh, yeah, I, I think um, I, I found this really interesting. And I, I like Nate a lot. And I like the way he he framed this. And I think you will too. So here's a little letter that Nate wrote to me from his home in Alaska. Fall has arrived at the cabin here in interior Alaska. After a record-setting wet summer with thankfully few fires, the leaves on the birch and aspen have started to go yellow. There's a crispness to the air now, and a chill can be felt in the wind coming off the slopes of the Alaska range to the south. The squirrels have been busy collecting seeds from spruce cones while stealing away various mushrooms in the crooks of trees and burrows in the softer ground. Soon, that ground will be frozen solid, then covered with an insulating blanket of snow, which is predicted to be heavy this year. Every year it's the same. We try to squeeze as much pleasure out of that short interior Alaskan summer as we can. As a photography hobbyist, this time of year is my favorite time to wander through the forests or along the banks of rivers and lakes, a search for something unique, an attempt to find a new way to frame the Alaskan autumn. But, as often happens in life, reality intrudes. And I hope I've learned the lesson about this reality by this point. Prepare, then play. But it's hard. Real hard. Usually, it's an early season snowstorm that brings that reality home. When this happens, and it always does, it's the first check on your preparedness for the winter. Do I have enough firewood in the woodshed? Enough heating oil in the tank? Have I rotated my emergency food supplies? Do I have enough food in the first place? What shape are my water filters in? Are the snow shovels in good working order? Is the chainsaw working properly? Does it need a tune-up, a new chain? Is my vehicle ready for the long winter? Are the tires changed over to studs? What shape's the wood stove in? Etc. In years past, I've always been behind on these preparations. Being disabled, still fighting a progressive illness, being medically bankrupt. It's not easy for me. This year has been different, however. My attitude is different, my outlook more clear. And much of this has to do with the current pandemic we find ourselves in. 
I've spent the last six years in my Alaskan cabin, isolated and alone. Before this, I was essentially quarantined while I went through medical treatments for nearly five years. I'm a pro at being isolated. Prior to the pandemic, I didn't know what to think about my lot in life, the position I would now find myself in. I was depressed, angry, and frustrated. I went from living around the world, skiing, surfing, traveling, exploring, working a job I liked, and now, well, I've learned a lot about myself over the last few months. I'm not doing nearly as bad as I thought, or as bad as others perceived. Having lost nearly everything in my life just six years prior, well, it turns out I'm okay. I've had a lot of disparaging comments thrown at me over the years due to my illness and disability. And what I'm finding out is I'm tougher than I ever thought. I generally try not to compare myself with others to gauge my general happiness or well-being. But it's been hard to avoid doing so when much of the world is now going through something that started for me more than a decade ago. My normal life has now become the nightmare of many. This realization came to me two weeks ago while I was out bucking up a large birch tree that had fallen over my road. It was the first real physical work I'd performed in probably two years. I took it slowly, operated methodically and with patience, and was able to get through the job without my entire back seizing up. I felt clear. The anxiety was no longer present. I actually felt happy. As the world was squabbling, I was out providing for myself breathing in deeply that crisp fall air. I just felt completely disconnected from the chaos, and it felt good. I'm so used to that chaos swirling around me, and it was gone. I know many are struggling right now. The world has been turned on its head. Normality has disappeared, and uncertainty has taken its place. I have a lot of empathy and compassion for what people are dealing with right now, but I'm not exactly sure how to help. The best thing I can do is continue my own preparations, which are close to being done, and just hope that some type of rationality returns to this country and our world. The best advice I can give to others who are feeling isolated or alone is to pick up a creative hobby and stick with it. Take time to focus on something away from the noise of the world, something to quiet the mind. It might help. For me, it's been learning the guitar, and for the next two months, It'll be getting that dag blasted D minor chord down. Welcome to the end of our chance. If you must, if you must, if you must, if you So that's our pal Nate sorting out his own self-help. And I think in Nate's case, it's uh, it's kind of like Julio in Guatemala. It's just out of necessity. It's just shit's got to get done. I'm going to make it through. And Nate has the time and the, uh, the intellect to reflect on his own personal state and realize that he's all right. In fact, he's he's thriving, which I think is the point of of building uh, a life around yourself. It's not like uh, 
my friend Josh, who uh, does this thing called Bomb Shelter Radio, he talks about the the idea of a bomb shelter being a place where you're not necessarily supposed to just survive, but where you're meant to thrive. And that's what uh, that's what I think Nate's getting at here. He's trying to find a way to to thrive in the uh, essentially bomb sheltered cabin, preparing itself for a long Alaskan winter. You know, um, there's a lot of ways to do it. I think that that might be the point. There's no the way. There are just many uh, ways to do things. You know, for some people, it is thinking like the Atomic Habits guy and organizing your thoughts into micro-organized, reframed, um, almost thinking about yourself as some kind of computer or a program thinking of systems and you know like we're machines that that's very helpful for some people and I, I totally get it other folks need to think of themselves as part of the natural world you know uh nate nate's behaving like one of the squirrels gathering mushrooms and squirreling away for the winter so yeah there's no right or wrong way to do it. There are many ways to do it. Uh, wait, there might be actually a wrong way to do it. I, I don't actually know. But I'm glad to know these two guys are out there and they're doing what they're doing. And I'm grateful that you've listened this far because it's been a lot of me talking. And I don't know how you do it. But thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being who you are. And if you have anything you want to share with us, please do send me a letter, an email, whatever it is you want to send me. You can record a voice memo on WhatsApp. Send that to me. Oh, and if you'd like to help out people who are suffering through these wildfires, we have links up on our website to um, places where you can donate. There are a lot of people who are way stressed out and in bad shape thanks to these fires. Oh, yeah, I got to stop talking. It's been too much. Thank you, everybody. Until next time, I hope you're doing fun and interesting things out there. Adios. If this life is driving you to drink, you're sitting around wondering just what to think. Well, I got some consolation. I'll give it to you if I might. You know I don't worry about a thing Cause I know nothing's gonna be alright You know this world is just a one big trouble spot Cause some have plenty and some have not You know I used to be troubled But I finally saw the light Now I don't worry about a thing Cause I know nothing's going to be
waste your time trying to be a go-getter Things will get worse before they get any better You know there's always somebody playing with dynamite But I don't worry about a thing Cause I know nothing's going to be alright 